0: Hello, everybody, and welcome yet again to another episode of the Roth Pod. It is episode 110 at time of recording. It is 5:19 Eastern, July 19th, and we are finally here to give you a. It's going to be a long, a long recap of primarily only hockey thoughts I would say at this point given the fact that we have had the most stuffed off season in terms of just like everything happening so we went from the draft to free agency in four days which is I'd say a little overwhelming if, if I was if I was an NHL GM I'd be sitting there I would be not thrilled at what's what the occurrence is uh, but RK before we get into that I want to just ask how's it going what are, what are we doing how are you feeling
1: Yeah, I'm doing good today. Donnie, excited to be back, you know, recording podcasts. Last week, I got to travel to Canada. So I was in Calgary, actually, when Johnny Goudreau left the jackets or left the the Flames, rather, to go to the jackets, which I know is going to be one of the first things we talk about. So that was an interesting experience. First time for me in Western Canada. And then I've been working baseball uh, in the days since. Today got an off day today. So figured it'd be a good time to get back on roadie on the horn on the grind so yeah a lot of hockey thoughts have uh have come and gone so excited to share those and bring them back up and uh yeah let's uh let's get into it excited to go today absolutely
0: so as rk mentioned he took uh the Pod credentials all the way to calgary to get a live reporter's thoughts he wanted to ask around the people of calgary how they felt about johnny gaudreau uh 11 p.m rolls around the night before free agency johnny gaudreau says hey calgary i'm not i'm not doing this i'm out of here and then the hockey world is stunned obviously we get into free agency it seems like the the rumors there devils flyers of course islanders a little bit but johnny gaudreau is a member of the columbus blue jackets which first off you obviously josh if you're listening hey you know congratulations you have you have essentially manifested your team back into relevance after uh, a couple years of pretty pretty bad hockey i would say so congratulations. Johnny Giro takes uh, what ends up being a 17 and dollar pay cut over the entirety of his contract to sign with the Columbus Blue Jackets a team that I would say could not sniff the jock of the Calgary Flames of last year. Um, and it seems like, you know, there's gonna be other issues there. But RK, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. First off, Columbus, like totally out of left field, right?
1: Yeah, I was definitely surprised by it to see that being the landing spot for Goudreau. He mentioned uh, during some of his press conferences with the Jackets that he wanted to get a little bit closer to home to the East coast. He's still not exactly in New Jersey. Like I'm sure devils and Islanders fans wish he was, but Still getting a little bit closer. He leaves Calgary. You said it. He takes less money to leave Calgary. So he obviously really wanted out, but he's coming off, you know, what I would say is certainly the best year of his career. Scored 40 goals this past year and a full 82 game season. So good timing for Goudreau in his contract year to really kind of ball out. And he was able to still cash in going to Columbus.
0: Yeah. It's kind of crazy to me because, uh, as in the days after this whole uh, the free agency was in, we say it all the time I, I use this word constantly but free agency has truly been fuckery like th- this whole free agency period I, I think even the gms are like yeah this was just this was a little bit much for us obviously a very really quick off season and we've learned in the days after uh, there was a report today that matthew kachuk is going to be requesting a trade out of calgary um wants to leave does not want to play for the flames anymore uh this before we move on this feels a lot like what we see in the nba like every three weeks like somebody decides I don't like it here, and then they decide I, I want to be sent to this team, this team, this team, or this team. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Giguere decided I'm just I'm just going to leave him for agency, which is totally his right in my opinion. Um, but the, the Matthew Kachuk thing, requesting a trade, we don't see this in the NHL very often. This does not happen.
1: Yeah, tough, uh, tough right now for Flames GM Brad living. You know, Goudreau, as you said, definitely his right. If, if you get to free agency, it's it's your right to go and leave. You know, you have no obligation to stay with the Flames. And they did everything they could to try to keep him. But at the end of the day, if Johnny Goudreau wants to leave, that's his right to do so. So, you know, tough if it's Calgary. I'm sure fans are obviously are not happy. And they're circling that day when Columbus comes back to Calgary so they can let him know about it. But for Johnny Goudreau, you know, good for him. Ends up moving on, goes to a team. Uh that, you know, already has some pretty solid ringers. It's it's interesting that a lot of their centers are are younger with Roslovik and Johnson and Sillinger at just nineteen years old each. So a little bit younger group he'll be working with down the middle, but uh Goudreau leaves and then yeah, as you said, it kind of sparks uh, you know, Kachuk to, you know, want to head out as well. With Calgary in a spot where a lot of their top players were free agents, not even just Goudreau, but you mentioned Kachuk, a restricted free agent. Also, Andrew Mangiapane had a really strong season for them, another restricted free agent. So going to have a lot of new faces and changes in Calgary if uh, Kachuk ends up getting dealt because of it. But uh, yeah, kind of a a tough hit to swallow after what was a good season for Calgary, getting knocked out to your division rival in Edmonton in the the, uh, second round there. And then now uh, having some of your marquee players either already leave or want out entirely.
0: Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really stunning offseason if you're a Calgary Flames fan, given the fact that if you were picking a team out of the West that was going to be like to consistently go for the next five years uh, as the season progressed, I think Calgary would have been right up there with the Colorados of the world, given the season they had. Um, moving forward off of the Johnny Udrow madness, it's been complete chaos pretty much. And everybody is is not thrilled with him, you know, for the most part, hockey, Twitter and fans in general, are not thrilled, um, but, you know, uh, before we get on to moving on to the next free agents, we haven't seen Nazem Khadri sign. We haven't seen John Klingberg sign. So the next best, I would have said Claude Giroux. So we're talking about a guy that is in the later end of his career, uh, somebody who probably is looking to, I, he, you'd think that he's trying to win something before he retires as most players at the end of their career. He decides to go to what I think has had uh, a team that has had the most interesting offseason of any in the Ottawa Senators, three years, six and a half mil per year in my eyes before we we get further into this it makes total sense we've known about the Giroud to Ottawa link for for a couple of years now and and it feels like Ottawa kind of like finessed moves to kind of entice him to come right like they've built the entire offseason to be like yeah Claude Giroux, obviously we've been linked to him forever they make a big trade uh, obviously it, it's still you know it, it's still fresh for you the the wound is, is still it's still open but the Ottawa Senators and Claude Giroux, it's just like it's an unbelievable off season, And Claude Giroux is like a cherry on top, right?
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. You know, Giroux, after a couple of seasons with the Flyers, where he maybe wasn't as productive as he would have liked to been a really good half season with the Florida Panthers uh, getting traded over there. And then obviously earning his free agency, signing with Ottawa, as you said, that's a really good fit there. I really like that top six now that Ottawa has. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, obviously they extended Josh Norris as well during this offseason. I thought that was a good move for them coming off a really strong season. You know about Brady Kachuk at the top, a trade for Alex to bring it during the draft, Drake Batherson coming off one of his best seasons as a pro. And then you still have Tim Stutzla on his entry level contract for one more year. We'll see if they can take advantage of that. Maybe work up a, a little bit uh, better performance, at least to get in the playoffs or make some noise when they get there. Also going to add Jake Sanderson on defense for a couple of years on his entry Level deal, so things starting to turn around for Ottawa a little bit. They make a little bit of uh, some aggressive moves to acquire some veterans and uh, to bring it and Giroux here. And that'll really help them out in terms of adding a little bit more goal scoring ability that they have. So, definitely like that fit all around and uh, contract as well. Three years for the uh, 34 year old with Drew might be able to finish out his career with Ottawa and maybe not see uh, immediate success in terms of uh, maybe a long playoff run. But if they can get there this year, maybe that sets him up for a little bit deeper run in the next two.
0: Yeah. And even like they've tried to build a team that can compete. And I appreciate that because they could have very well sat there and tanked for another year, got a very high pick, maybe probably not the number one pick. I'm thinking, you know, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are are in line for that one fully. Uh, But even like adding Cam Talbot in in a a pretty meaningless trade in terms of the return, it just makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting to think about. Um, We talked about the goalie carousel a lot before free agency opened up. And Cam out was not a name that I expected to be moved at all. So that was really interesting to me just in general. Um, but we have seen a couple of goalies hit free agency as expected. And I think before we get into this, the tampering on these contracts, we've, we knew about these contracts three or four days before free agency opened. and Darcy Kemper going to Washington five and 5.25, uh, Jack Campbell to Edmonton five times five. There were people reporting that Jack Campbell had the five by five deal done four or five days before free agency started. and I don't, I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs were giving the, I don't, I don't think they gave anybody the rights to talk to him. I don't think that was a, that was a possibility. So interesting to see there. But first off, I guess we'd start with Darcy Kemper. The Washington Capitals, their goaltending was bad last year. Not, not really a question. Very mediocre. Darcy Kemper coming off the cop like match made in heaven, right?
1: Yeah, I like it. I mean, uh, for the Capitals specifically here, you know, last year they had the tandem with Banachek and Samsona. Both of them leave. They trade. Vanacek to the Devils, and then Samsonov goes and signs with the. Maple Leafs replacing Campbell, but I like that move to grab Kemper from a capital standpoint. I think they would like a little bit more kind of of a one guy uh, rather than the, you know, tandem they had last year, at least in terms of, you know, how they're allocating some money. That's the way they're going with a $5.2 million contract for Kemper. So he goes from, you know, a really good team to another really good team. And I think he should be able to fit in. I I think the capitals, they're always kind of hanging around and tough team to knock out. So they're always in the playoff mix. So I like that landing spot for Kemper and uh you know we'll have to see if, if he's able to live up to it it'll be you know 37 by the time that contract is up so they're really kind of counting on a, a couple of really solid years for for darcy kemper in washington
0: yeah i think that in general just scares me a little bit paying a goalie into their late 30s given the fact that we've seen goalies really hit the tank i think you'd say 33 34 is like when you expect things to go downhill so i guess the Capitals are just selling out but I did really enjoy the Jack Campbell to Edmonton signing five times, five seems very reasonable for a guy who is most of the time, pretty good. Obviously last year, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they had some issues. It was more than just Jack Campbell. Um, he's gone now, which is surprising to me. Uh, I didn't think that they were going to let him hit free agency, given the fact that uh, I don't know how much you paid. that in Toronto media, but everybody heard about the Jack Campbell for Vezina talk all year. And that was really just like, you know we can get over that at this point. You know Jack Campbell was was not a, as a candidate goaltender. He did not play that great. However, Edmonton finally decides, hey, you know we're gonna get a guy that's reliable at least like reliable ish. Mike Smith is retiring or hurt. Niko Koskinen left the NHL entirely. So uh, in terms of free agency, I think hitting on Jack Campbell is like it should set up the Edmonton Oilers to be competitive for the entire contract that he's there, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, they're counting on five good years out of him. We really saw like half of a season that was pretty good. So they're banking on at some point during that contract, he's able to get back to that form. So it certainly doesn't come without some risk, but I thought that that was a solid landing spot for Campbell to end up. It's kind of funny. The Oilers have quite a few number of formal Maple Leafs now at this point with Tyson Berry, Cody Ceci, and Zach Hyman already on their rosters. So it's kind of just funny seeing uh, guys cycle through a couple of different Canadian teams. It always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit, but Jack Campbell going there, you know, I, I'm not necessarily someone that I would have been dying to sign that contract, just because like I said, I'm not sure he's as proven as some of the other options they could have gone after in net, but given how the Oilers have approached their goaltending situation in the last couple of years, I would say it's an upgrade. You mentioned that Mike Smith's probably done. So uh to get Jack Campbell in there, a, a fresh body, maybe they're able to muster up a little bit more success, even though I will give Smith some credit. He did look solid in there during the playoffs at times, but just kind of always seemed like he had kind of a expiration date and it was uh it was almost well past that. So I like that move for the Oilers to get a new face in that, see if it gives them a little bit more success. If Campbell can ba- build off last season, then I think the Oilers will find themselves back in the playoffs again this year.
0: Yeah. I think Mike Smith played himself out of contention to play ever again. When he let in the, the three quarters of the ice goal in the playoffs, you're sitting there like, uh, that would be one of the most stunning goals to witness in person. Somebody winds up for a slap shot from their own blue line. and it ends up evading your goaltender and you're just sitting there like, this is just a disaster. Um, the Edmonton Oilers are a, fascinating obviously just we can add on i guess they extended evander kane after i i think pretty much everybody was feeling like yeah maybe we should just like relax on the evander kane talk a little bit obviously he's got a lot of things going on in his personal life um his ex-wife really loves to throw stuff up on her instagram story that puts hockey twitter in a frenzy uh but uh, evander kane ends up sticking around you gotta think you know unfortunately the sport loves to just like you know give 17th and 18th chances to players that don't really deserve it. Um, But uh, Vander King cashes out. And and just from a hockey standpoint, like if he wasn't such a jerk of a human being, such a, a, an unlikable person, uh, half of the time, four times five is like not a bad deal. And 5.125 per year is like pretty, it's pretty palatable for a guy that will almost guaranteed sit there with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl play a lot of power play time. I mean, like we saw it in the playoffs. Vander Kane looked like a superstar which is uh, crazy, right?
1: Yeah, no, he, he really produced, like, you know, someone that was just the perfect missing link for the Oilers, just another finisher out there. Alongside of uh, you know McDavid and Drysdale, as you said, 22 goals in the regular season, 13 goals in the playoffs, in just 15 games. So he was doing his job to say the least. Uh, you know, really a, a deadly sniper, someone you can rely on to score 20 goals pretty much every year. He's done that every year since uh, 2015, 16. Uh, that scored 20 goals in a season. So definitely a guy you can uh, rely upon and and count on to you know be a consistent producer. Just like you said, he always kind of has some noise off the ice that kind of holds him back. So. If he's there all four years and he's producing, it's going to be a steal for the Oilers, though. He's certainly got the talent.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess we can move from there to the Metro. We have a couple teams that made some big signings, starting off with the New Jersey Devils, uh, a team that we consistently like to talk down on because of our friends, um, you know, being a little bit abrasive about their their views on how the Devils are the next day on the Cup contender for the next decade. But Andre Palat, you know, Unfortunate for him. I'm sure that he would have loved to stick around in Tampa, but you know, the the cap crunch is, it's hell when you have so many good teams and you're consistently competitive. Uh, So Andre Plot decides to take a contract five years, six mil per to go to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I found this one interesting because Andre Plot has not been like the most super productive, crazy 60, 70, 80 point player but you know you're going to get 40, 45, 50 points. And in the playoffs, the guy is just a different breed. Um, this is a guy that I personally, when when the Rangers were playing Tampa Bay Lightning, I was like, every time he's on the ice, you know, the puck is going to go near the net or it might go in the net, depending on how he's feeling. Um, and, and a guy that should really bring a lot of just helpful words of wisdom, a helpful experience to a Devils team that is extremely young,
1: right? Yeah, just kind of looking at like the locker room standpoint, Palat's really going to add a lot. This was kind of the, type of player the devils really needed to add, you know, they were in on the Johnny Goudreau sweepstakes, but they knew they needed to add a little bit more juice on the wing. And a is definitely a guy that'll be able to help them out with that. I thought that the contract was maybe a little bit more than I ideally would have liked to see that being five years by 6 million per year. Uh, You know, he'll be signed until he's 36 years old, but uh, in terms of, you know, what the devils need, it was uh, another winger and plot's going to be able to help that out. Uh, You know, three pretty young centers there with, (laughs) Hughes, Heisher, and uh, Mercer as well. So they needed to add a little bit more veteran presence on the wing. They already have a guy like Thomas Tatar. I think Palat will kind of complement his game pretty well as well. So I think that it's exactly what the Devils need, but they had to pay a little bit in order to get it. But I still think it's well worth it for Tom Fitzgerald and the Devils to add Andre Palat.
0: Yeah, moving forward, though, another Metro team, as mentioned before, the New York Rangers, my favorite team, decided that they were going to shell out a, a, what I considered originally a ridiculous contract, a seven year, 5.65 mil deal to Vincent Trocek, a guy that is, I, I would say what they needed. However, giving a seven year deal to anybody in free agency is a little bit sketchy to me, especially a guy that's 29 will be 36 at the end of this contract. Um, a little bit, m- maybe questionable. However, you know the Rangers are straight shooters, and I think that this is something that we're gonna we're gonna see multiple times out of them uh, over the next couple of years. They're going to spend in free agency; it could end up biting them really bad. And I think if Vincent Trocheck is not an incredible producer next to Artemi Panarin, this could be really bad. But you have to think like everybody works with Panarin; it, it should work fine.
1: Yeah, I like to move for the Rangers. You know, Torchek's produced in a couple different spots, did so with Florida when he started his career, and then the last couple with Carolina. So I always thought he's been a pretty underrated player. I think he can help out the Rangers for sure, already a pretty good forward core. So however they end up mixing lines with, head coach Gerard Galan, I think it'll be uh, creating an opportunity for Trocek to play around some pretty skilled players again. And I think that the contract also is, uh, you know, pretty fair. Uh, 5.6 million per, I think is uh, pretty spot on with how I value Trocek. I, I think he does play a really solid two-way game overall. So I think he's going to help out. And, and I like that fit overall for uh, for the Rangers adding Trocek.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't expect them to be in on a, a like a, a big fish. And obviously they weren't, I think Nazem Khadri would have been the guy they wanted to have. They had a little bit more flexibility, but coming out with anybody in free agency is like a, a nice reality. Although I do think that the Rangers are going to look back at this and be like maybe Ryan Strom or maybe Andrew Kopp was, was a safer choice given the, uh, the shorter term. Uh, I guess we can just go straight into Detroit, Detroit signed Andrew Kopp five times five, six, two, five, six, two, five. Uh, ben Sherratt four times four, seven, five, David Perron, two times 4.75. It looks like the Detroit Red Wings are tired of losing. I think that would be the best categorization, as I can tell you Uh, in that aspect. It looks like they're just deciding, you know, we have the young core. We just saw Mo Sider had a great year. Um, We're looking to lock up Dylan Larkin. They've got a bunch of young talent. Detroit seems like a team that just really does not want to lose anymore. They got to build the market back up 20 years in a row making the playoffs. And then it's been really, really tough scenes the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, a few years into the ISER plan now with the Red Wings, you know, we really saw that start off with trying to clear contracts off the books, not really signing any long term deals, pretty much trying to get everything off the books by the end of 2023 or end of 2024. But here we finally see them start to spend some long term money and it's Andrew Kopp and Ben Sharat specifically who are now signed through. Uh, at least 2026. So I think that those are good players overall. I think if you're the Red Wings, that's going to help your immediate value. I think they fought a little bit better this past year than maybe some other people would have gave them credit for at the start of the year. So I think they are thinking, all right, we're going to try to compete for a playoff spot. This is a big year for us to try to continue to take steps up on what we did last season. So I think it makes sense for Detroit to now start to spend some of those uh, dollars that will be on the books a long time and start to build a little bit more of that depth uh with both cop and Girard, who i think will be big parts to when the red wings are good again uh you know when those teams happen i think those guys will help them out to do that
0: yeah it was really interesting coming into the free agency i saw somebody post that the detroit red wings had zero dollars on uh, of salary promise to guys in 2024 and beyond um i guess if you're rebuilding and you're trying to figure out who's good and who's bad on your team the best way to do it is just not giving out contracts to anybody, period. Just being like, yeah, we're going to keep our, our flexibility open. Obviously, you have to expect the Red Wings are going to like try to keep Larkin. I, I think there's like a guarantee there that he will get a long-term deal at high AAV. But the Red Wings are just so interesting. And this is like, you have to think, look, is just fun. Like, you never know what's coming. You don't know the rumors. Nobody ever breaks anything. It's kind of like Lou and the Islanders, where you don't hear anything until these things happen. Even the Red Wings writers that I follow on on Twitter were like, yeah, we we we've heard nothing. Like nothing comes out. How how strange is that? In a digital age, like you can't get a leak out of some of these teams. Whereas, like in the NBA, we know everything that's happening 45 minutes before it's happening. The MLB, it's Jeff Passons out here breaking news. That's not even like like Uh, completely like done yet, but in in the NHL, we find teams like Detroit who are so tight-lipped and and it's crazy to me, in my opinion, that nobody had any idea any of this was happening.
1: Yeah. I I think it makes a lot of sense. We do see, uh, you know, a handful of GMs that are pretty, uh, you know, closed doored in terms of uh, allowing information to get out. So to speak, I think it makes sense. I mean, there's really no downside to doing it. Obviously fans and whatnot want to get, you know, the, the information before it happens. But from a GM standpoint, there's, there's really not a whole lot of good in you know, leaking your decisions uh, ahead of time, I would say. So I think it's uh, overall a good philosophy, even if it does drive fans crazy sometimes uh, when, when they have no idea what's going on with their team. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I always find it funny when like guys like Elliot Friedman have no idea what's going on because Elliot Friedman knows everything that's going on in hockey. Period. Every time anything happens, Elliot Friedman is on and he knows the AAV. But in this situation, he just had no clue. Um, I guess we can move forward to what I would have called a couple like really solid signings for teams that probably won't be doing anything. Uh, starting with Ilya Makayev going to Vancouver. Four times four seven five seems like a lot of money. In my opinion, at least in, in my analysis, it seems like a, a a significant investment to a guy that maybe not maybe has not proven himself to be worthy of money like that just yet. However, um, it, it, Vancouver seems to be kind of just like doing whatever they can do to try to finesse a competitive team at this point, given the the rumors to guys like Brock Besser, JT Miller, Bo Horvath have been a lot. Um, Is Ilya have a guy that you would want to build around uh, on your team, give him a modified no trade on top of all this money?
1: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting uh, contract overall. I think four years was – maybe a little bit long for what the AAV was at $4.75 million. You know, still just 27 years old, so I wouldn't say age is a concern at all, but it's more just about consistent play. I think that's been uh, kind of the big issue with Mikhaev so far. You know, came into the NHL during the 2020 season, but over the last three years, he's just kind of been inconsistent overall. He did score 21 goals this year, but uh, I think that Mikhaev's game still offers uh, a little bit more uh, to give if you're paying him $4.75 million, which the Canucks are in this spot. So uh, we'll see how it ends up playing off. Uh, I like the centers there uh, on the top two lines in Vancouver with Pedersen and Horvat for sure. So if he can grab one of those top six spots, get on the power play, I could see him being a productive player, but I just kind of fear the consistency overall with Mikhayev. So it certainly wasn't one of my favorite contracts that uh, we saw so far in free agency
0: Yeah. And there's one more deal that I thought was really interesting, maybe on a a different end with Andre Burakovsky going to Seattle, kind of cashing out on his, uh, what I would call a, a meteoric rise to like a really solid top six forward from uh, a point where a couple of years ago, like the guy was looked at as like, ah oh, you know, he's he's fine. He's good. He does plays a role. And, and now he's signed to Seattle for five years, 27.5 over five years, which is a significant change in the NHL. But Seattle Kraken, if any team's going to spend money on a guy like Andre Burakovsky, who has a lot to offer, uh, it makes a lot of sense from in my opinion, at least.
1: Yeah, I think so, and if their plan is to play Shane Wright this year in the NHL and give Maddie Beneers a spot at center, then they're going to need to want to get a little bit more scoring wingers, and Burakovsky is one of my favorites, at least in terms of scoring wingers that were in this free agency class. You know, coming off an outstanding year this year with the Avalanche, not only in the regular season scoring 22 goals, but playoffs as well, registering eight points during that run for Colorado. Just been a consistent goal scorer really throughout his entire career, even going back to his time with the Capitals as well. I've always been a fan of Andre Burakovsky's game, still just 27 years old, so even at the end of this five-year deal, he'll only be 32. I think that the Kraken can expect pretty good hockey out of Burakovsky, and especially given that they're still kind of developing some of those young players with Wright and Beniers, and even a guy I like Jared McCann had a strong season last year down the middle. You're going to want to surround him with a little bit more talent than they did last year. I think Burakovsky was a really, really good signing for Seattle.
0: And the final signing that I thought that we should talk about was uh, obviously an interesting one. Mason Marchment, we saw uh, at the draft, the day before the draft, his father passed away, which is a really interesting um you know, hearing about players that you don't really hear about in terms of like their careers, obviously he's a scout now, but everybody talked about how such a great guy, a guy that you really want to uh, be able to learn from. Uh, Obviously Mason Marchment has a connection with uh, the coach in Dallas. You know, it's going to be an interesting little, little situation there. Mason Marchment cashed out huge four times, 4.5 after a guy that, you know, a couple of years ago, you would have been saying, Oh, you know, a young player, a lot of potential, but hasn't really given everything yet. And now he's, he's looking to, I would say Mason Marshman ends up on like power play one in Dallas. He ends up playing significant roles. Uh, It's kind of crazy to me, but if there's a guy that has a lot to prove and a lot to offer, Mason Marshman could end up being like a real steal at this, at this price in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I, I'm interested in this deal as well. You mentioned it coming off a season where he scored 18 goals, 47 points overall in just 54 games with Florida, who we knew could really score last year. So a uh, new situation in Dallas, of course, we'll see if Marshman can kind of build upon what was a strong season last year for him, really kind of cashed out in his contract year this year. The deal being four years by four and a half million so certainly another deal i would view as risky i I think there's potential where in two years we're like wow how did this guy get this contract but it also could pay off for him because you said it the opportunity is there where he could make an impact with dallas right away if he can seize it yeah
0: so before we move on to the extensions i just want to say usually free agency we see more bad signings than good signings i think that that's the reality of things in the nhl is Players are generally overpaid. Players generally get too long of a term. We could look back at this and be like, this was just a brutal, brutal free agency. I mean, we could look back and be like, wow, like everybody's great, but the chances are somebody's gonna end up busting really hard and this the contract's gonna look awful. Somebody's gonna have a bad one.
1: Yeah, and that's usually how it works in free agency. You know, you could say there's a, a good player out there and he gets, you know, five five like realistic good offers. Well, they're likely going to take the offer that's, you know, the most money, the most terms. So that's obviously the offer that we look at and we analyze and we say, Why did this team give that money? Well, that's because they wanted this player. They had to give just a little bit more than the other teams they were competing against. So yeah, because of that reason, free agency can sometimes really burn you. But uh those teams uh that can get creative with it and you know, have good rationale, put guys in a position to have success can really make the most of it. So that's why there's a lot of inherent risk with free agency. Uh, you know, you got to be the actual team that does end up offering just a little bit more than everybody else. But I uh, can certainly give you kind of that uh, final point in in building your roster uh, better than it was a year ago. So I think that's kind of uh, the inherent reason for why free agency can sometimes be something that you look back upon and say, oh man, that really kind of hurt us in that spot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, also I think we can say the same about the extensions. So it's like, first off, uh, coming into free agency, I would have told you that Philip Forsberg was, if he hit the market, he's as hot of a commodity as Johnny Udrow would have been. This is a, a different player, obviously. Johnny Gaudreau had a much stronger year in terms of like the points. He had a much stronger than everybody in the league in terms of points. But Nashville did a good job. Just you know, sticking to their guns, not giving up any concessions. Uh, the rumors were that Forsberg was looking for like eight point nine to nine mil per year for the majority of his deal uh, or like the, the negotiation point ended up at 8.5, eight year deal. Nashville needed to keep him. There's not really any question about that. If Nashville lose was to lose Johnny or Philip Forsberg, it would have been like, how are you losing Johnny Gaudreau. Same idea. You're losing what is pretty much your best player without a, much of a question in terms of your forwards, at least, um, Nashville, eight times, 8.5, Philip Forsberg, a guy that is going to produce, you know, you're going to get production out of him, uh, I don't have any questions. I don't have any concerns. I don't have any any real comments on it other than it's something they had to do. We know these contracts happen, but it's just something they had to do.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I thought that the AAB was going to end up even being higher for Forsberg. You know, they got him on the eight-year max deal that you can offer a player if they resign, but. For Forsberg, he's coming off an outstanding year, 42 goals scored in just 69 games, like didn't even play the full season and still had well over 40 goals. So I thought Forsberg was even going to cash out more than this. So I like that contract a lot for Nashville. As you said it, Forsberg has been an incredibly consistent player, you know, basically his whole career, a lot to like in his game and Nashville didn't want to let him go. So I like that deal all the way around. Forsberg just 27 years old right now. So He'll be just 35 when the contract expires. I think it'll age pretty well. I really like that extension for Nashville.
0: Yeah, and I think there was a little bit of a question, like was Nashville going to be able to actually function and do this with Matthew Shane making a ridiculous amount of money, Ryan Johansson on a big contract, and then adding Ryan McDonough. But it looks like Nashville, like the negotiations couldn't have gone any better. Like if you end up keeping your guy, looking at what Johnny Gaudrill, the situation, everything, like I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, I'm really glad that's not us right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. You mentioned it, Duchesne and Johansson at 8 million. They're both signed through 2025, at least Dushane through 2026. And, you know, you mentioned they acquired McDonough he's at 6.7. That's not cheap. Roman Yossi's at nine. So I feel like even their star players though, like Yossi at nine, you know, Forsberg eight and a half, those are pretty manageable. You're not really limiting yourself too much with the rest of your roster. You know, right now that's, of the cap for Forsberg, 11% for Yossi. I think when you start getting in the like 15%, uh, you know, for one player of your entire salary cap, then it starts being a little bit of a detriment, but I think how GM David Boyle has done it so far has been really smooth. And uh, I think Nashville will continue to see a lot of success as they really have over the last, you know, five to 10 years. So.
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, we've seen a lot of eight year deals in, in, you know, the extension market and I was a little bit stunned by what ended up happening in Tampa. So Tampa, another team that ended up to very tight lip, surprisingly, usually uh, since irisman has gone, it feels like everything is kind of leaked. Like don't be sod was leaking Tampa Bay lightning trades during the, the regular season. You know, obviously yeah. shout out to our friend Lucas. Um, but yeah, Tampa decided to extend Anthony Sorelli at eight times 6.25. Mikhail Sergachev eight times 8.5 and Eric Ternak eight times 5.2. Sorelli and Turnak, fine with me. Don't have any issues. Totally okay. Mikhail Sergachev, obviously, he cashed out on him being such a massive part of their Stanley Cup runs and a massive part of their success. Eight times eight point five for any defenseman in the league that's not like Kale McCarr. It is like maybe a little bit scary for me, Adam, like the, the Adam Foxes of the world. Is Mikhail Sergachev gonna be worth this contract in eight years? Like, would you say this is a, a good deal?
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit higher than I was expecting Sergachev would get. Uh, you know he's he's played a handful of, of years at this point five years with Tampa Bay and has been obviously a big contributor on their Stanley Cup teams and you know plays an important position on defense with a good puck mover good skater a lot to like in his game but you know at the end of the day with his production you know his career high in a season is 40 points uh, you know he's coming off a year where he scored 38 points so you know you're looking at about a half point per game defenseman which is certainly valuable but to come in at eight uh 8.5 million per year for the next eight it's you're certainly banking on a lot of steps up for sergachev um which he certainly is capable of doing as he's still a young player at just 24 years old, but the Lightning are really banking on Sergeyev, you know, taking a step up, really being that, you know, number two defenseman behind Victor Hedman that uh, can be relied upon, so I thought it was a little bit high for Sergeyev, but it's not to say he can't grow into that role, but just given how Tampa has been and they seem to fight, you know, so hard on every single contract, even for their stars like Stamkos and Kucherov, they, uh, you know, tried to get it as low as possible. It was definitely a little bit higher contract than I was expecting for Mikhail Sergachev,
0: yeah, but I think you can also like the Sorelli deal seems good to me. The Chernak deal seems good to me. So, all while I don't like the Sergachev deal like a ton, I'm not gonna be like, yeah, this is a guy that's definitely gonna be worth seventy million dollars in eight years. Like he's gonna he's gonna play out this contract and and produce. Like Tampa just does it right. I I was a little bit shocked at at the number solely because of the taxes. Like everybody talks about uh, Florida, great for taxes and everything. Sergachev got the bag. Sergachev got a Roman USC contract, which is nuts in any, in any world.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, on that. And then also, I love the Sorelli and Act deals as well. I, I do definitely agree with you on that side of things. I mean, uh, both of them getting locked up for eight years is pretty nuts. Uh, they're going to have that core locked up for quite some time. Tampa's not going anywhere, but Sorelli has been one of my favorite players to watch on Tampa Bay. I just really like his game. I, I think his, you know, kind of two-way grind game is, you know, just spot on with what um, is kind of typical of how Tampa Bay scouts and develops players. So Sorelli's just kind of a, a prototypical you know, bolt. I think that's what they Uh, they kind of call him over there so I really like the Sorelli deal and Chernak on the back end I didn't think they could let him go after they move on for McDonough Uh, you know they're they're banking on him being that number three now behind Sergachev and Hedman so Chernak's earned that as well so I like those two other deals I just thought Sergachev's was a little bit high if it was say eight by seven, I think I would have looked upon it a little bit differently but eight and a half was just a little bit much for for me to really like that deal for the Lightning.
0: You know, there was one more crazy extension out there that ended up being St. Louis and Robert Thomas. Um, Robert Thomas is a great player. I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Coming off a year where he was over a point per game, uh, really burst on the scene after what I would say was a disappointing year previously. Uh, He showed a lot of flashes. Robert Thomas cashed out on on a great year. He picked the perfect time to have an unbelievable season. Eight times 8.125, he's making just what i would have 65 million dollars over eight years it's, it's really serious money uh especially given the fact that st louis is having issues with the guys like vladimir Teresenko. there's been rumors that his trade uh, request is still out there the blues are in, an interesting team to look at because they are an aging core and robert thomas is going to be the future of the organization whether they like it or not with this contract um in your opinion a little bit too much fair uh whatever you thinking.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fair overall. I think Thomas has definitely earned it. You know, you, you mentioned it was just one year last year, but, um, you know, I, I think it makes sense for them to lock him up long-term. I, I think he kind of represents like a little bit new flavor for what the Blues are kind of going after. I think of him alongside a guy like Jordan Cairo on that team. A little bit more of kind of that skill finesse game than some of the kind of big physicality play we've seen from Blues teams in the past. Uh, you know, it seems like that Colton Pareko contract is really going to kind of burn him for a little bit. At $6.5 million, still signed for quite some time, but I think for, in terms of their forward core, you know, last year they go out, they make the big trade for Pavel Buchnevich, uh you know here they re-signed Robert Thomas long term so i think that the blues are starting to change their philosophies a little bit going more towards that skill finesse game which i think will help them out in the long run obviously they have a stanley cup recently in 2019 that'll certainly help out but i like how the blues are are kind of approaching things and i think to me thomas was a the guy they wanted to lock up and i don't hate the contract kairu is probably the next guy up for them uh to to extend long term and rfa at the end of 2023 so i think it makes sense and and i like the fit with thomas uh, I thought it was a fair contract overall.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I was a little bit interested to see the numbers because I think the extension numbers are always really interesting to me with the eight years. uh, You can't really figure out what teams are thinking unless you have like legitimate sourcing. And I didn't hear a single word about Robert Thomas at all for weeks coming up the free agency. And then all of a sudden you're seeing a $65 million contract, which if you're like an NBA fan, you're thinking, oh, he's making nothing. But in the NHL, that is such significant money. That's 10% of your cap right there. So. Uh, very interesting and, and maybe just a little bit shocking to me that the blues decided hey like we're just gonna do this and we're just gonna see what happens like it feels like this is a oh, we're hoping for the best on this kind of contract which is respect I guess
1: yeah I agree uh,
0: another team that made some really significant moves that I didn't necessarily expect is the Colorado Avalanche obviously teams that win the Stanley Cup do not usually hold on to all their guys and the Avalanche didn't as we talked about Darcy Kemper has gone under Burakovsky gone Nazem Kodri probably gone but we're talking about an eight-year deal for Val Natchuskin, which I, I, coming into the year, nobody would have predicted he was getting eight years, 6.1 per – it's a lot. It's a lot of money. But they ended up keeping Josh Manson as well, four times 4.5, and Arturi Lekin at five times 4.5. I think – and this was an interesting uh, scenario that was you know brought up on social media. If the Avs had not won the Cup – like, let's say they lost the Stanley Cup this year, Eric Johnson, they may have been like, yeah, we got to get rid of him. Nazan Kodja, they hold on Nazan Kodja, they run it back next year. And now they can't do that. Obviously, Eric Johnson's had like like the Stanley Cup month. He's been he's been everywhere. Everybody loves Eric Johnson out of nowhere. It's a really interesting scenario to think about, like the Avs wanted to keep their guys yet. Nazem Kadri's is not the guy that they end up focusing on. Like was Josh Manson really a priority over a guy like Nazem Kadri who just had an incredible he was everything for this team?
1: Yeah, we had kind of broke it down in our last podcast, you know, previewing what the abs could do. Uh, We mentioned that, you know, you talked about Kadri there, Donnie. You know, he still is unsigned. Doesn't seem like he'll be going back to Colorado. We talked about Burakovsky earlier, leaving Colorado, going to the Seattle Kraken, but they were able to keep a couple guys. Shushkin, you know, him coming back. I thought that contract was even a little bit high. I, I think he earned it. You know, he was outstanding in the playoffs. I so definitely know to deb- debating that, but, uh, you know, just looking back on the history of Shushkin, like he was signed with Dallas and said, all right, I'm leaving for Russia for two years and then just decided to come back. So that's kind of in the back of my head, like, ah, oh, well, what's to say he wouldn't do that again in the next eight years here, but I guess Colorado seems pretty uh, set on him staying, and I guess if you win a Stanley Cup, that's fair, but I thought, but for, for me personally, I would rather take that Andre Burakov contract at five by 5.5 then Nashushkin at 8.6.1 so I was a little surprised that that was the direction Colorado went but in terms of Manson and Lekanen I think that the both of those uh contracts make sense uh you know two guys they traded for this past year during the season and uh definitely were impact players for them during their playoff run so I think that'll help towards the depth of things but yeah there's no doubt that losing Burakovsky and Kadri are going to be you know, big losses for the avalanche, but they're able to keep a little bit of that depth that really kind of carried them throughout the playoffs. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting strategy that the Avs take on that. But I like the, Mac- the Manson and Lekin and Neal specifically, and maybe I was just a little bit surprised that they went with Nishushkin instead of Burakovsky.
0: Yeah. Like we said, with like Robert Thomas type deal. Val Nachushkin played himself into an eight year deal. Like there's no doubt about it coming into the year. I think everybody said, oh, yeah, this is a guy. It's like a 30 point. He's been a 30 point player. Most of his career hasn't really done that. A great defensive player. And then all of a sudden he's making $50 million on a contract from the Stanley cup champions who think that this guy is going to be next to like Nathan McKinnon for eight years. He's going to be dominant. It's crazy to me. Hockey offseason, You always have a couple of re-signs that are like, wow, like that's, that's risky. And that I guess that's the business. Like, that's the only way to do it is play a risky game. Like, the Tampa Bay Lightning probably don't win anything if they're not a risky risky business. So I think it's going to be interesting, and I think this is something we can look back at in five years and be like, yeah, this is going to be really bad, or wow, like, Valdecius seems like a hall of favor. Like, that would be crazy to me.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Uh, one more team that we could talk about with re-signs—a uh, team that looked like they were in a real, a real mess—the Pittsburgh Penguins. Evgeny Malkin, the day before he re-signed, he was saying, "Yeah, I'm hitting free agency. I'm going to the open market." We actually learned that that is just a complete cap. He signs before he hits free agency at four years, six point one per year. Uh, Also, Ricard Raquel, six years, five mil per. I first off, before we get into their trade of, of acquiring Jeff Petrie for what I would categorize as essentially nothing, um. Really just interesting that Pittsburgh's decided, yeah, we're just going to keep the core. We're going to send the core. Uh, by the end of the contract, we talked about Latang a little bit previously. Pittsburgh's going to be really bad in three or four years, and they're going to be sitting there with with aging stars that just don't know what they're doing. But like, this is a move they had to make, right? Evgeny Malkin doesn't come back and they're screwed.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it was definitely an interesting spot for Pittsburgh with both Latang and Malkin at 35 years old. Do they want to take a little bit of a discount, stick around, you know, continue to be lifelong penguins or do they want to kind of move on? And they were able to reach these deals and, and keep them around. So, you know, they're going to kind of run it back and hey, like Pittsburgh, like they, you know, took the Rangers to seven. Like there's, there's no debate that they, that could have been kind of them that, would have made it to the, say, the conference finals or, or had a deep run, had things gone a little bit differently. I, I think they were still coming off a good year. I think Jeff Carter, even behind him, just continuing with the big veteran centers, it, it worked. Uh, it, it did. Uh, even though they did lose in the first round, as I mentioned, but I think it—you know—it's a fair strategy for GM Ron Hextall to say, "Hey, let's run it back, see if we can extend this thing a little bit longer with some of the generational players that that we've had in our franchise." So I think it's respect to both Malkin and Latang for being willing to accept those deals and and take a little bit less money to remain Penguins, but now they're just going to have to back it up, use that cap space, go out and acquire some more impactful pieces that can uh, you know help them out and see if they can take them over the hump uh, just one more time. So. Thought it was a respectable move uh, for both Malkin and Letang to, to stay around with Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to me, like I don't think that I can remember seeing a team that had an average age of 30 or higher yet. The Pittsburgh Penguins are out there at 30 on the dot, which would generally tell you like, first off they don't have any young talent on the roster and this is the only move they could make to really remain this way. And also like, nobody cares about you when in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, they constantly just trade guys away and trade picks away. And they just build off of what they're going with at this point, it kind of thinks like you have to feel like the Penguins, are just going to, they're going to be bad and they're going to be bad for a long time. And, you know, we see it in other teams like Chicago Blackhawks are going to be bad for a long time. Once they move on from Patrick Kane, um, and Jonathan Tays and all them, the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be worse than the Blackhawks ever, ever set themselves up to be like, this is the team that is going to be Colorado Avalanche level bad uh, from a couple years ago. And I don't even mind it. Like, hell, you've had that type of that type of run, that type of dynasty. Like, you know it has to it's gotta it's gonna be tough, but at this point, it's something you have to do. Evgeny Malkin's a hell of a player and he's very tough to play against. I worry a little bit for the Penguins, like if they were to lose Evgeny Malkin on a long-term injury, like they'd be they'd be so done. They would have nothing to work with. Jeff Carter, as you mentioned, he's like forty years old. He still produces, but at some point you gotta get some young bodies out there, right? Like we gotta do it at some point.
1: Yeah, it, it's weird. I feel like uh, teams are in this situation where they're, you know, kind of at the end of these legendary players. Do we want to extend it? Do we want to, you know, stimulate some changes now? You know, Pittsburgh's like, we're just going to ride it out. We may suck for a little bit, but that's fine. We're going to let these generational players get their final chance to win a cup. And hey, if it works out, then you look like a genius because you're like, oh, we got Crosby and Malkin, you know, their uh, fourth cup together. They're going to go down in the history books, you know, Hall of Famers. That legacy is preserved if they can just get one more championship with that group. But it's certainly high risk. If it doesn't pan out, then you're in for, you know, that lengthy rebuild uh, in itself. But, you know, a lot of people would tell you that it's worth it to, to just give it one more shot. So that's the option that Pittsburgh goes with here.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting in the Metro, like the, the Rangers are a generally young team. The Devils are up and coming very young team and a team that surprised the hell out of me in the off season, the Carolina hurricanes decided, instead of going into dipping in the cap, their cap and free agency, um, where they're going to make some trades. First off, Trading for Brent Burns, uh, Stephen Lorenz, Etumak Kiniemi, and a 2023 third. Basically, what ends up being like a cap dump, you know, a mid-level prospect along the way, a third-round pick. It's going to be really weird seeing Brent Burns play for Carolina, but it feels like the fit works incredibly well, especially if you're looking to upgrade on Tony D'Angelo. Like, you're getting Tony D'Angelo, who would actually play a little bit of defense, a better offensive player than Tony D'Angelo. Uh, Carolina is, like, crazy. This is a great move, in my opinion, at least.
1: Yeah, I think so too, especially when you consider, you know, even looking back a few years, what Carolina has done, obviously they had Dougie Hamilton as that big right shot D, they lose him in free agency last year, they get the one year stopgap, get an outstanding year from Tony D'Angelo, but then opt to move on from him, replace him with Brent Burns and you get him at a reduced cap hit. You're able to get the Sharks to retain 33% of that cap. So Burns only comes in at 5.2. I think that's a lot more fair value for what he is now at this point of his career. So still get him out there. You get Jacob Slavin on the left side. I think you have a really solid. Solid top pair there in Carolina, and uh, yeah, I think that you know they opt to make strong decisions again. That's what we've really gotten accustomed to for Carolina. Still looking to get that cup with this core, but they've had some pretty solid playoff performances in years. So we'll see if they can build upon it. And I think Burns was a really good add uh, that maybe go under the radar for some other people this offseason.
0: Yeah. And then Carolina decided, Hey, like we're not done with, with trading nothing to get star players. Max Pacioretty, uh, the Vegas golden Knights are in such a bad cap situation that they're over the cap with nine forwards on their roster currently. So um, we're going to see more moves out of them. Probably. Max Pacioretty is an interesting ad for Carolina solely because I feel like if he stays healthy, they are going to get an incredible amount out of him given the fact that the power play, all the guys on their team are just distributors. Those are guys that pass the puck extremely well and set up players Every time I would watch the Carolina Hurricanes set up at 5v5, they'd get in the zone, they'd cycle a little bit, somebody would cut to the net, somebody would get lost in the middle of the ice, somebody would get open. And Max Pacioretty has proven time and time again, this is his life. This is what he does very well. He finds spots, he scores, he can pass the puck. And they trade future considerations for Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin, Um, both guys that could end up playing for them this year like fairly easily. Max Pacioretty for sure, Coglin maybe. First off, let's just talk about Vegas real quick. They're in a bad spot. Vegas put themselves in a bad spot. We knew they were in a bad spot. Uh, Jack Eichel, not really helping the whole uh, cap situation. Vegas, first off, like we, we knew this was going to happen, but I didn't expect to be with Carolina. I didn't expect Carolina to be the team. Like, yeah, I'm going to help you out.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I kind of figured Max Pacioretty would kind of be on his way out, just given the fact that they kind of chose to pay Riley Smith a little bit cheaper winger uh, instead of Pacioretty, who just has one year left on his contract. So for Carolina, maybe it's just a one-year rental. Maybe Pacioretty, you know, wins him over and they want to re-sign him. But uh, to also pick up Dylan Coughlin as well, like you said, like, hey, yeah, as the throw-in guy to take your cap of a strong winger, that's a pretty good decision. So I like that move for Carolina for sure. You mentioned it just kind of capitalizing on Vegas, having no cap space. But they realized they were going to be in this spot. You pay Petrangelo in uh, free agency, 8.8 million. You go out and make the big trade for Eichel, who makes 10 million. Uh, you know, they knew they were going to have to move some big cap numbers, and Pacioretty was the guy they opted to depart from. I like that ad for Carolina a lot. I think they're going to be among the legitimate threats to hoisting the Stanley Cup next year, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And it's interesting to look at, like, Carolina is still, like, they have some some moves to make. Obviously, they have to hold on to Marty Nikas. I think there's, like, really not really much of a question there. But a Carolina is, is a team that we talk about on every year as, like, a perennial contender, but they really look like a perennial contender now. They look like a team that if they don't win in the next three, four, five years, like, something terrible happened because the young young core, obviously, the goaltending was really good last year, which was a, a something that we talked about on our – uh, on our pre pod is like, yeah, we're not really sure about the Carolina goaltending. Freddie Anderson is kind of a mess and they turned uh, a tandem, a duo into like maybe the best duo in the league last year. Um, I think it'll be interesting to look at Carolina long-term because usually we don't see teams decide, Hey, you know, we're just, we're going to strike out everybody for free agency. We're not going to do anything with free agency. We're going to just bail their teams out and, they gave up pretty much nothing. Brent Burns would have been among the best defensemen. Him and John Klingberg would have been like very close to each other in terms of like the best D-man in uh, free agency. And Max Pacioretty would have got signed. He would have got serious money in free agency. So I just think it's such a fascinating way to function. And Carolina always does a little bit different, obviously, like offer sheets and such. But the Carolina Hurricanes have to be like the favorite out of the East, in my opinion, which is crazy to say, because we still have the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Yeah, I, I think Carolina just does a lot of things well. Obviously, they have drafted and developed really well. Guys like Andrei Sveshnikov, Seth Jarvis, you mentioned Marty Natchez who they need to pay, Jacob Slavin, all guys they drafted and developed that are really impact guys for them. They made some pretty savvy trades as well. Maybe even back when they got Tavo Taravainen as kind of a cap dump when they got Brian Bickel, and obviously he's still there and making a big impact. And then on top of everything, I think they benefit from having one of the best coaches in the NHL. I think Rod Brindamore has really earned a lot of respect of people around the league and has proven that he's able to win games at the NHL level. So I think they're definitely right on the cusp of being another team, kind of like the avalanche were last year where they could hoist the Stanley cup uh, next season. And I don't think too many people would be that surprised.
0: Yeah. And I I just want to ask one question to you, before we head on to our our solo question that we have, who is the winner of the off season so far? Because I think that there's two or three teams I would have named Ottawa hundred percent, but like, Maybe Carolina is our winner of the offseason, all things considered, like they have the young core, they add the veteran presence they need. They're among like the best teams in the league already. And then to win the offseason is like a huge positive for a Carolina Hurricanes team that I don't know, like they could have very well made the conference final and made a deep run in this playoffs had they, you know, had some bounces go their way.
1: Yeah, I think Carolina is definitely up there for sure. I, I really like the moves here that the veterans and getting patch uh and Burns as well. I even think uh, maybe kind of like under the radar. I feel like the LA Kings still like we didn't really talk about many moves they made, but uh, you know, even looking back when they made that big trade for Kevin Fiala, I feel like that's going to be something they look back and they really like that they did that. And I also think they did a nice job at maybe not signing some veterans because they have so many young players that they're trying to filter into their lineup and uh, continue to develop. So I think that you know maybe not necessarily for conventional reasons but you know not going out and signing stupid deals uh, I, I think the Fiala trade was something that I thought was really smart from a Kings perspective so um, yeah maybe that's kind of a, an under the radar team for me but um, yeah I definitely like what Carolina's done as well and, and I'll give the Kings a shot for that Fiala trade a few weeks ago
0: yeah obviously we here are a Sean Derzy podcast we we oh, yeah. support Sean Derzy with with all of our heart and our soul so Uh, I'm a Kings fan. I can't, I can't hate it. Like I'll root for the Kings next year. Um, Anything else before we get on to, to our solo question.
1: No, not too much. Uh, you know, lots of, uh, NHL free agent moves and stuff. It's been good stuff. I know things will really start to slow down over the next little bit with hockey. Obviously we'll touch on, uh, when Klingberg and Kadri sign, but, uh, glad we can kind of break it down in bulk. That's kind of the, uh, nice side of the NHL offseason. that it's like, all right, here's all the news. And then we're all going to go to the cottages for a couple months and get ready for the season. So nice to all break it down all in one there. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was fun to follow on, uh, on Twitter, of course, all the moves and, uh, yeah, Johnny Gaudreau was really kind of the big one. It was uh, it was pretty funny to be in Calgary for for all that breaking down. I'll uh, I'll definitely never forget it. You know,
0: shout out to Zotz. Obviously, he's having a tough time. He's he's very emotional uh, yeah, right mate. now. Um do you want to read our question obviously it's a family a family affair here so
1: Yeah all right so uh end of the spot or uh end of the podcast rather my dad's got a question this time so uh taking the spot of my sister in this one but it's a good question this is something i actually uh thought about quite a bit funny enough but here we go first question from my dad he says if you could go back in time for the best seat in the house at any game ever which game would you choose and why Donnie, I will let you go first.
0: Yeah, see, it's interesting to me because my father was at this game. Uh, obviously, Kirk Gibson. You know, we knew you, you know the backstory, everything. He's coming up. He's got a, he's got some issues. He's been injured. Um, hits one of the most. I, it's not the most iconic home run, probably, but very, very much up there. I think there's a more iconic home run coming from your answer here, but. As a Dodger fan, I think it's just like an emotional moment because it's literally the only thing you see when they put on like ESPN talks about Dodgers history. You're going to see the Kirk Gibson home run. It's going to be there regardless. Anybody on Twitter talks about, oh, you know, this is the greatest woman in Dodgers history. It's that. And I think, you know, if you're looking for one moment, baseball has got to be up there in terms of the sport you would look at. Like just the the emotional appeal of having an outdoor game plus, you know baseball is a sweat baseball is such a, a a scary sport you know you know better than anybody like the Cubs were in so many so many of these like little tight moments obviously you got to say Rajai Davis was must have been just must have been a beautiful moment for you but yeah like this the threat and, and the stress of a baseball game Kirk Gibson coming up on, on, a, on a bum leg and then running around running around you know pumping his fist and everything that would have been just truly truly special to be sitting like right behind home plate for that to happen you'd be sitting there jaw dropped the entire time.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, a fair one. Definitely agree with you, Donnie. You got to go baseball on this one. I don't know what it is. Just like going to like an old historic, like baseball stadium for you, Dodger stadium, like back in the eighties, like that would be really sick to go to. I'm going to go even further back than you. I'm going to 1932 to the world series between the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs I'm gonna go to game three, which was the first game of the series at Wrigley. This was definitely not the best series in the history of the game of baseball. It was a sweep. It was a four-game sweep for the New York Yankees. But there was an iconic moment in game three at Wrigley Field during the fifth inning. Babe Ruth famously he points out to center field to the flagpole and allegedly calls his shot. There's a lot of debate over whether it really happened or if he was just pointing at the pitcher. There was a lot of chirping going on and Cubs fans and players yelling at Babe Ruth, which seems like not the best idea to yell at one of the best players in the history of baseball at this time. But I want to be there in person for it. I want to see if Babe Ruth actually called a shot in game three of the 1932 World Series at Wrigley Field. Pretty similar reasons. I just feel like, you know, an iconic baseball setting at Wrigley Field, which I've been to many times. But seeing it in the 1930s, obviously, it would be a little bit different experience, especially at the World Series level against the Bronx Bombers. I feel like that's the easy choice for me in that one. So I'm going way back. Let's go to Wrigley Field in 1932 and see if Babe Ruth actually called a shot. That's my answer on that one.
0: You know, I would have said if you were sitting at home on your couch for Philly, Philly, like it would have been like maybe <laughs> that that might have been like and that's gotta be like up there, right? That's just insane. Oh, that the, the game.
1: Fact?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you were sitting yeah. at home on your couch, that would have been your number one answer. But you know, I'm sure for a lot of Eagles fans out there, they'd be like, yeah, like that's the moment I want to see. That's the most emotional moment. Don't, you don't have, know, have to go you know, back
1: in time for it. I got it. You don't have
0: it. to. Yeah, yeah. You you've got that. It's a subtle flex. Obviously, the, the kid was there. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, and I also think like. You pick an interesting scenario, given the fact that I would have definitely just picked something that ha- happened to my team. Like I would have been like, yeah, I get to watch them win the, win a game in the world. Yeah, Series, or, I'm
1: watching or, the Cubs. get This, is,
0: this <laughs> guy's watching a guy go point, point and hit a home run. Um, But th- this is, this is why we love RK. This, this right here is the perfect reason it sums up RK. He's just, a, he's a curious mind. He's a curious fellow.
1: I want to see if he did it. Everyone's always saying, they don't know if Babe Ruth did it. I like seeing like iconic players. I got to see LeBron play in person this year for the Lakers and he dropped 50 in a game. So that was like, I'll never forget that. I want to go back and see Babe Ruth play. I feel like that would be pretty sweet. I want to, I want to see all the legends uh, perform at least once. So got to go back in time to watch Babe Ruth in 1932. That's, that's my pick.
0: You know, fair enough. Obviously. Um, if I could do anything right now, it would be you know, have Sheck West on the podcast. Unfortunately, Sheck was not interested in talking NHL. He'll be here next week, right? You know, uh, scheduling—we're recording at a, at a different hour. Obviously, this is our, our our second podcast of the day. If you know, you know. Uh, RK, you want to just you want to you want to outro us here.
1: Yeah, I'll wrap us up. Donnie, you just said it. Check West coming on next episode. So you guys got to come back next week. You know, baseball all-star game going on today. So at the time of your listening, you know who won the all-star game. Doesn't count for anything anymore. No home field advantage like it was in <laughs> 2016. And the Cubs were in the World Series. No longer a thing. But maybe we'll still get some exciting event at some point during the all-star game. A little bit of a break from sports. Everybody knows around all-star break. There's no NFL, no MLB, no NHL, nothing going on right now. So we'll chill for a little bit. Once sports news pick up, we'll share it. You know, we're getting, you know, a halfway point of the baseball season, obviously playoff races and whatnot will pick up. We've got our fantasy baseball to keep an eye on. Donnie's kicking my ass right now this week in, uh, in our matchup we have. So got to tip my cap when it's due. Still got a couple of days, but going to be tough. Credit to to Mr. Burns over there. But it's been a good podcast. Thanks everybody for always making it through. End of the podcast, folks. You guys are the best, of course. Appreciate you guys sticking with us and we will talk to you guys all again next week. Have a good rest of your day, everybody.
0: Peace everybody.